And there'll be a new industry this year that didn't exist last year. So I think it's actually a comfort to know that obsolescence now is common for even people who are 27. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? I'm ready. You already listened to the Midlife Mixtape podcast, but are you subscribed to the Midlife Mixtape blog? That's the mothership that started it all back in 2011, and where I still share short, hopefully humorous essays on motherhood, music, work, books, travel, whatever else fits on the mixtape. You can subscribe at midlifemixtape.com by going to the upper right-hand corner. There's a subscription sign-up box there, and that means you'll get an email every time I have a new post, usually only two or three a month, tops. I've got one coming up next week about an invitation I got recently to audition for a reality TV show that was... um humorous to say the least. So I hope you'll sign up at midlifemixtape.com. Thanks. Hey there, how's it going? This is Nancy, and I hope you are all hanging in there wherever you are in your happiness curve that we talked about in episode 46. Here it is only one short week later, and I'm already in your ears again with a new episode. I wanted to start January with some momentum, so that's why these back-to-back episodes, but don't worry, I'm not going to be able to keep up that pace. I have too much Netflix to watch. My guests today are Susan Ritano davy and Kelly Biskubiak, co-founders of Prepare to Launch You, an online women's career reentry course that prepares participants to vault back into the workplace, even if they've been out of it for years. While their work focuses primarily on people going back to work after a break, Susan and Kelly's advice on positioning your strengths at midlife and creating your tribe apply regardless of your gender or your current job situation. So let's grab a rung of the career ladder and talk with Susan and Kelly from Prepare to Launch You. So welcome to the show today, Susan Ritano davy and Kelly Biskupiak. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today about Prepare to Launch You. I'm really happy to have you here. Oh, we're happy to be here. Thank we are you. so happy to be here. Yes. You know, we always start the podcast with one question. What was your first concert and what were the circumstances? <laughs> Mine was The Grateful Dead. Okay. And I was like 15 or 16 years old and my boyfriend Duncan invited me to go. He was a little older. This was back when the drinking age was 18. So anyway, he invited me to this concert. My parents were both educators. So they know what ha- they knew what happened at these concerts probably better than I. And so they sat down with Duncan. First, their first inclination was no way. But then they sat down with him and they said, here's the deal. You can bring our daughter to this concert, provided there is no drinking, no drugs <laughs> of any kind, no any no foul play. And she is home by whatever time it was. Um, it was a big concert. It was it was in New Jersey at the Meadowlands. Oh, nice. It was, I mean, and it was just probably like 19, 1979 or so. I mean, was Duncan like sorry out? No, not he was. No, he was so good. He was he was so good. I think all of his friends were having a really wild time, and he was such a good Boy Scout. And actually, I think we probably enjoyed the concert more because we were so present right. and unencumbered. <laughs> um, but it did set a really high bar for future concerts, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Oh, that's so it. nice. The way your parents got stepped in, stepped in to handle things for you. Just make sure everything's going to yeah, be okay. They did. They did. Yeah, they they hold the bar high when we don't necessarily <laughs> yeah, want right. to hold the bar very high. As mothers of teens and 20-year-olds ourselves, right? Now we know. Yes. yes. All right, Kelly, what about you? Here's mine. Here's mine. So I want to give a disclaimer because 
my first concert that I wanted to be my first concert was the Joshua Tree U2 tour, except I was too young. My parents were like, nope, you're too young. You're not going. So I had to wait. And so he was not touring when I was finally allowed to go to a concert in eighth grade, but Poison. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Way more appropriate. Oh, yeah. Poison, poison was. And um, I saw it at Lake Compounds with my best friend, Trisha. And That's our, a, an amusement park. Yes, it's an amusement park. It was an outdoor concert. Our hair was so um, big. very big and very sprayed. Um, and yeah. All right. Well, listen, you guys, I'm really thrilled to have you on as one of my January episodes because I feel like this, it just feels like the right month for us to mm-hmm. tackle all mm-hmm. things career related and future related and where we want to be. So I was intrigued when I came across Prepare to Launch You. That's you as in university listeners. And this is a program that you guys have put together to coach midlife career re-entry people. And I know it's mostly women, but I'm sure some of the issues mm-hmm. we talk about will also be familiar and helpful to my male listeners. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, P- can we, we'll call it PTLU. Is that what you guys call it? Prepared to look Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. why there's a need for this type of coaching and how you guys came together to start it. So, I mean, together we've been working in this space for 30 years in different ways. Kelly as a professional coach, me doing more of the consulting on the corporate side and then doing the placement side of things. So we met when we were both speaking at a women's conference and and Kelly actually was the one that kind of picked up on, wow, we've got these tremendously complementary skills. We should work together Uh, because we both know that just taking 15 years off to raise your children and thinking that you can just dust off an old resume and get right back in is a recipe for failure. We know it because we've both coached hundreds of women through the process of coming back and saying, you know what, I didn't do it right. So we started by just kind of putting together a seminar and then expanding that into a live course, which we delivered to audiences for what, like about a year and a half. Yeah, almost two years. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know, my role and what I started really seeing is there's this whisper that starts to happen to a 35 year old about I'm not feeling this sense of fulfillment, and that whisper gets louder and louder and louder as she pr- approaches. 40, 45, and then all the way up to your 50s. And what was happening for these women is work was something that was fulfilling to them. And they were missing that. And that identity that you have wrapped around your career is something that goes to sleep if you opt out and you stay home with your children. And so we are waking those pieces of them back up again. So when I saw Susan talking, I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, she does all the the strategy behind that career re-entry piece. And I do more of the personal side of it. You know, how do we grow you back to that confident woman that you once were? And and maybe she is far wiser now and she wants to make different choices for herself when she thinks about what career would be a fit for her now. So, And there aren't a lot of options out there for people, Nancy. I mean, there are individual pieces. You could maybe find a coach online or find a a template for a resume or find a podcast on how to interview or read blogs on how to negotiate. But the thing is, most women in our demographic, like you, like us, we're, we're busy. We've got obligations for families. Sometimes we have obligations with elderly parents as well. And we've got work and we're trying to get this all done, we're not going to have the time or probably the will to research and vet a bunch of different sources and cobble together some type of career entry plan. So we decided that 
our gift to the women that we used to be is going to be this course that tees it all up and uses the really powerful foundational work that Kelly does all the way through the highly strategic and tactical work that I do in in launching career. Well, I was imp- first of all, I'm not busy. I have time to just read romance novels and eat bonbons. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm actually reclined right now and someone's feeding me grapes. No, but the, one of the things that impressed me about the program is really the soup to nuts nature of it. I mean, you guys do mm-hmm. goal setting, you do strength identification, but you also do really tactical stuff like how to set up your LinkedIn profile and even how do you manage work-life balance. So how does right. that how does that uh, work for the women who are your clients? I'm also curious how you started finding clients. Where did your where did your initial clients come from? Well, I know for me, I had when I originally started my coaching practice, I was doing um, workshops for women, evening workshops called Ladies Night Out, and I was you know meeting women and talking about women's issues, and then they would turn into clients mm-hmm. because I was having conversations around things. That that people don't necessarily have conversations around. And women were, oh my gosh, like this is what it is. It's not that I, you know, I'm in search of happiness. I'm in search of fulfillment. I want to feel fulfilled. And, you know, Susan has, a, you know, just a long practice. She, she actually was a partner in another company. And our company was the original company that championed flexible work. So I did more public speaking and would work with women who are in transition on the placement side, helping companies set up flexible work policies and then helping women, placing women into those jobs once they were established. But on the coaching side, it started really organically. It would just be, you know what, we're not going to be able to help to place you because you're not ready yet. So you can hire me to help you work through the process. And then it was just grew word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So our first clients were really from our own private practices. That's how we started. Mm-hmm. And then they would invite friends. And um, and yeah, I will right. give all the credit to Kelly on the social media side. She's done a fabulous job of creating a really robust social media presence for us and really getting into the bowels of how these things work. And bowels they so are. Thank you, Kel, <laughs> because I have no interest in that kind of stuff. And then I've been doing a little bit more on more of the traditional relationship building and public public relations piece. So we've divided and conquered. So now what was originally just clients for the or students for the most part from Central Connecticut, now we have clients or students in 17 states. Right. Because now you've moved to the online delivery. Exactly. exactly. One of the things that I heard so many times in my podcast interviews and certainly from listeners uh, in their feedback to me is that this is a time of life of really identifying your values and trying to connect your values mm-hmm. with the work that you do. And yet we all want to make money. Why? Because it's expensive to have aging parents and kids. And so I, yeah. I always think like, Follow Your Bliss is great, but I have such high electricity bills in Northern California and I have college. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty pragmatic when it comes to finding my bliss. My bliss needs to come with the paycheck that allows me to. So, but I'm just curious as you talk to your clients, how that manifests in terms of how they connect their values to the jobs they want to do, but also the practical aspects of being at midlife. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what's very interesting about this is this is the marriage between Kelly and Susan and what Prepare to Launch You has become because it's the marriage between let's define what things fulfill you and then toss it over to Susan to turn it into work 
that is out there in the world that is a fit for you and that is fulfilling for you, but is going to make you money. Um, It's going to hit those priorities that you have for yourself. And so what we have found is just in the very first module that we work through in our course with our students, it's defining who you are now. And what we hear from our students all the time is, oh gosh, like I didn't even, I haven't even stopped to think about myself. Mm -hmm. I haven't even, you know, I have not created a vision for myself. I'm creating visions for everyone around me, but I'm not doing that for myself. And we help them identify what they've done in their opt-out years and quantify it and give it some value. So women are really quick to dismiss the things that they do as a caregiver, as a support person, as a volunteer. But we have a very powerful exercise where we take them through looking at those things critically and identifying the skills that they've acquired through the process of doing these things and then translating it into workplace currency. As we move through the course, we also have them list their priorities in a very specific way. So for instance, we just had a client that came through who was offered a very high paying job, but her top priority right now was not money. Her top priority was learning and pivoting in a new direction. So this one job was probably going to pay her about $90,000 for part-time work, three days a week. And the job that she took was only going to pay her $18 an hour. But when we sat down and said, okay, your priorities are what? My number one priority is acquiring this job currency, these skills in this new field that will propel me forward. So she actually sent an email recently saying, I just want to thank you guys for helping me make the right decision. It would have been really easy for someone to say, you've got to take the $90,000 a year job, but it wasn't going to get me where I wanted to be. For you it's very clear that you have a financial imperative and that's where we would guide you. Well, so this brings us to the topic that I think all of us at midlife, regardless of gender, worry about, which is obsolescence. And whether it's feeling Mm -hmm. obsolete because you think that what you've done, you know, you've been home with your kids for 15 years and you feel like you're behind from a technological standpoint or other industry-specific knowledge, but also even if you do keep your foot in the work world or even if you're working full-time, It's hard to keep up with the technology, I think. But that's actually a benefit because it really doesn't matter. Everybody's obsolete. (laughs) So you're, you know, it's not like 20 years ago where you were obsolete, but everybody else was still in the game. Things change so quickly. So it becomes beholden on the employer to find people who are nimble, who are quick to learn new things because it changes so quickly. There are industries now that didn't exist five years ago, and there'll be a new industry this year that didn't exist last year. So I think it's actually a comfort to know that obsolescence now is common for even people who are 27. Mm-hmm. So the trick must be to look at what we've done in those in those opt-out years or those part-time yes. years and figure out how that translates. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also, if you have opted out and you're not looking to go back this year or even next year, being very strategic about where you are spending your time volunteering mm-hmm. during your opt-out years is critical. Mm-hmm. If you really have a plan and you really think about, if this is where I want to go when I'm able to return, then I am going to put my eggs in this basket and I am going to really think strategically about where I'm spending my time. So instead of stacking books at the library as a volunteer, I'm going to volunteer on the PTO and I'm going to be the treasurer and I'm going to get their books in place. I'm going to create a new automated bill paying system. And these are going to be skills that I'm not being paid to do, but that someone someday might want to pay me to do. So what do you guys see as the most stubborn obstacles that face midlifers who are re-entering 
their careers or reinventing their careers even? How do we, and how do we get around them? Well, I think obstacle one is just doing it. Actually pausing your life and saying, I am going to go after this and I'm going to do this. That is the biggest obstacle at the very beginning. It's what we're, we're doing this mini course challenge right. this week with uh, students from across the country. And today was all about getting yourself prepared. Like I said earlier, when you have focused your life on everyone else around you, it, you're out of touch with how to focus on yourself. And sometimes when you start to do that, you see things about yourself that you don't want to see and you have to tackle. And that can feel overwhelming, but it is worth it. It is so And, and to Kelly's point, I think 90% of the obstacle is driven by that person. So again, it's spending the time. It might be just a lack of confidence. It also might be an unwillingness or an inability to be really honest with yourself. So it's easy to hide behind, oh, no one's going to hire me because I'm 58. Or I mean, we've had clients that are 65. If you believe that and you don't dig a little deeper to understand what is it about you being 65 that's precluding you from being hired? Mm -hmm. Are you not current in your skills? Do you have an attitude when you go in? So really 90% of it is the person. There might be a 10% bias out there in the world that says, oh gosh, I don't want to take the time to hire somebody who's been out for a while. But it's 10% maybe, and people who do the work and do it well and do it properly are able to overcome that obstacle pretty easily. Or I can't do it because. I can't do it because I have this coming up, or I can't do it because I have that coming up. It's always in sacrifice of you know, the people that are around right. you. One of my favorite Liz Fair lyrics, one of her songs, she says, it occurs to me there will always be some kind of crisis. And I have thought of that millions <laughs> of times in my life. And she wasn't even a mom when she wrote no. that. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things though, I wonder if it also makes a difference. You have your clients work in groups too, right? Is there like an accountability factor that comes mm -hmm. in yeah. that maybe those of us who aren't going through PTLU could draw on our own friendships and our own networks for accountability deadlines, you know, checking in. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. We have actually, we have two courses that we offer. We have a mini course that we offer, which is the first three essential steps back to the workforce. And that is really a lot of that foundational work that we were talking about. And then we have our full soup to nuts course that has everything from who am I now and defining what that is and doing that foundational work that will prep you for what obstacles are in my way and how do I overcome them to what are all of the things that I need to do to launch and get myself back out there and get myself a job. And a lot of the steps in the process are things that really kind of transcend gender, but there are some gender differences. So about 25% of my private practice, maybe even more, probably closer to 35, is, is men and that I just coached separately from the course. And there are differences and there are differences, particularly when it comes to negotiating an offer and to interviewing. And so we teach a very gender-specific version of how to interview and how to negotiate an offer because there are differences. And I see it even when I work with college kids. If I'm working with a 24-year-old male and a 24-year-old female, it is very different the way they approach and actually, you, you probably know this as well as anyone, there are all kinds of studies that are done even in the classroom for the way, the way girls will advocate for themselves and the way boys will. So we do kind of tackle some of that. And the problem is at the young age where you're doing the coaching, that has long-term implications because mm -hmm. you start, somebody's starting off higher up on the, on the ladder than you are in terms of the paychecks, you may never catch up. It impacts you in perpetuity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How important is it to have an accountability group or to have just yeah. a group of your friends who are aware of what you're doing in terms of your career reentry and checking in on you? 
Yeah, we believe strongly that that is something that you absolutely 100% have to have in place for yourself to find success when it comes to attaining any goal that you have for yourself, but especially when it comes to returning to work. And we define the roles that you're looking for in your tribe, specifically the different qualities that you're looking to fill. Because again, as women, we often will be caregivers to everyone around us and we don't have people that know how to truly support us in our life. And we also aren't very good at receiving support. So Mm -hmm. we build that into like, how do I actually become somebody who asks for help versus giving help all of the time. And based on feedback that we've gotten from students and from our beta testers, we've actually changed the way students will be taking the course now and in the future. And we're giving them the option of taking it as a cohort. So students will sign up right now. We're actually, our next cohort begins January 21st and it will move through 10 weeks. And we've taken the course and broken it into 10 manageable chunks. So as a participant in the cohort, you'll do that one week of work. And then every Friday, you will have a live or option to take a live video conference call with us and with the other students in the cohort to kind of unpack what has been learned that week, answer questions, et cetera. Well, that's awesome. Um, so it's a way to build community in a virtual way. Yeah. Women women want connection. I mean, we're hardwired for it. So. Right. It's crucial, it's important, and it is ultimately good to know that you're not alone when you're going through this. And it makes things more fun. But one of the things I was going to say is so many of our women um, that have gone through the course already said, I, you know, I, I did feel so alone. Like I did feel like I was the only one. Like, why couldn't I just do this on my own? Why couldn't I just get myself together and get myself back to work? Why couldn't I do it? Well, mm-hmm. here's the deal. There are thousands that can't do it. And if you do it well and you do it correctly, you can do it and feel a real sense of fulfillment in the end. Right. And you can share what you've learned with other people and make it easier for them. Mm -hmm. Completely. So let's finish this section of the discussion by having you tell us some really wonderful stories about people who've gone back to work and smashed it. I want to hear about like the lady who was out of work for 15 years and now she's a VP or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know my favorite story. Kelly's heard this a gazillion times. So you can mm-hmm. go, you can go, no, 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 no. She's just going to sing some poison to herself in the corner. Right. Not your one. Go, go, go tease my hair a little there bit. There you go. <laughs> um, mine is, is a woman named Carol and she came in, um, she had been out of work for about 12 years. Her youngest child was entering first grade when she came and her most recent job had been as the spritzer. This is going back a few years, but the spritzer at the department store that, you know, whether you want or not is spraying the spray in your face when you walked into the department store. My favorite scene in Elf. Yes, go on. Oh my God. That's one of my favorite (laughs) movies of all time. But anyway, so she had done that just as something to get her out of the house. Prior, she'd had a pretty robust career in employee relations, organizational development for a major, major retail chain. And so she came to me and I thought, okay, wow, this has been, she hasn't worked in 12 years and this is all she's done. How the heck are we going to package this one? But at the time we had a client call in that was looking for someone to help develop for a two-year project, develop a college recruitment program. And so there were two candidates who were really easy, kind of obvious choices, but I thought Carol would be a really good one. So we submitted Carol and he called me up and he's like, okay, why am I looking at this woman? I said, just humor us and look at her because I think she'd be a really good fit. And so prior to this, Carol had been working through all the steps of the process, kind of understanding what her skills were, trying to translate what she had done before, even the spritzer job, which was now a supervisory role into something that was marketable. We did the resume, we worked on interview skills, but the problem was that she still, no matter what we did, 
she didn't look that great on paper. So we had a relationship. The client decided to interview her. And now jumping ahead, she was given the project. She ended up winning their Contractor of the Year Award, was offered a permanent job. And this was about 15 years ago. She is now a senior vice president in the C-suite of a major telecommunications company, which I will not name, but use your imagination. Um, So in 15 years, she went from spritzer to C-suite executive at a major corporation. That's awesome. I mean, it just goes to show that we've all got something to offer. And sometimes it's just a question of talking about it to the right people. Completely. And networking is a huge piece of that. Mm -hmm. Networking is extremely important. You know, that's one of the things that we talk to our women about all the time, that, you know, your network could be at the bus stop. Your network could be on the sides of the soccer field, you know, that that could be a potential employer for you. So you really have to come at this with your eyes wide open. You know, we have so many women that could just be having a conversation with someone or served on a committee working with somebody who is looking for a position and then gets hired that way through that kind of networking. Well, I think it's critically important that you let everybody know what you're looking for and that you're looking. I think people are Mm -hmm. shy about doing that, but I've seen it work so many times where the lead comes from a place you least expect. It cannot hurt you to tell people you're looking. It can only help. Well, I'll disagree with that only in this way. If you don't have something clear to say, it can hurt you. And that's where most women struggle because they don't really know what they're looking for. They don't know how to phrase it. And we spend a lot of time giving them language. And until you have something compelling to say and an ability to say it succinctly, convincingly, and with true confidence, it's probably better to keep quiet. You know, that's something when people have asked me to help spread the word, I always come back to them and say, give me two sentences Mm -hmm. about what you want to do. Because ideally, if you're going to forward an email and say, so-and-so is looking to do this, and this is the kind of company they want to work for, something really concise, that can get forwarded independently and it doesn't need a lot of explanation around it. But it's hard to do. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do. Also, I'll just make a play right here that when it comes to networking, do three nice things for other people before you ask for something for yourself. And I say this because Mm -hmm. I have the world's most annoying person right now who happens to have gone to my grad school. (laughs) I thought he was, my husband and I were a year apart in grad school. So oftentimes I'll get contacted by people and I think, oh, he must be friends with Andrew. So I'll do the guy a favor. And I thought this person knew my husband. Come to find out, Andrew's like, yeah, I couldn't stand that guy. And he he just came at me with a huge ask. And I was like, no, I don't have time. I'm on a deadline for my book. I've been out of the country. I can't do this. And he came back and said, okay, just give me the name then of the person. And I'm like, delete. And now I'm blocking you. So, you know, people will ask for a lot. Yeah. So boundaries, boundaries. (laughs) Kelly Kelly teaches a great course. Yeah, I do. I do. Great lesson on boundaries. (laughs) I'm a big boundary. Boundaries person, yes. Well, he's mm-hmm. he's tried to bridge the boundary too many times. He's getting blocked now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I love about this story, as I was reading about your backgrounds, you started off in sort of different fields that converged to PTLU. Susan was at Xerox for years, and Kelly, you started as a K through twelve teacher. Did you guys expect to end up here? It feels like it's a really beautiful evolution of your individual paths. Or am I reading too much more magazine reinvention feels into it? <laughs> No, I don't think either of us expected to be here. No, I mean, absolutely not. mm -hmm. Yeah, I think 
I think for me, I am an educator in my DNA. That is just who I am. And this is a form of education, but in a whole different arena than I ever thought I was going to be doing it in. And with Susan, Susan's got a lot of educator in her. But you know, know, the hardest challenge for me in the corporate world was when we'd sit down and they'd say, okay, I want to see your 30, 60, 90 day goals, your one year goals, your five year goals. And to me, that was always just an exercise in creative writing because I just never think that far ahead. And even though I do, you know, through the course, we do ask our students to create goals. I have never been someone who's kind of plotted things out. Things have just fallen into place. And if Kelly hadn't called me up that day and said, let's have lunch, I mean, it hadn't even dawned on me mm-hmm. that we would work together. It hadn't really dawned on me what would be coming next. The biggest advice my career would show is just keep yourself open to options. Don't say no to anything. Just listen to people. Talk to people. Yeah. So last question, and Kelly, we'll start with you. What one piece of advice do you have for younger people, or do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? You know, I am a recovering perfectionist, and I so wish that I had let go of that perfectionist side of myself that, you know, I have a risk-taking side to me, and I kind of denied that because I was such a perfectionist and I needed it to all be perfect. And the reality is nothing is ever perfect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people want to know that you're human. They want to know that you are relatable. And um, especially in the work that we do, we are human and we are relatable. And it doesn't mean that you are not smart or driven or you know high achieving. You can be all of those things. You don't have to have it all wrapped up in perfectionism because I think that can be it can mm-hmm. strangle you and keep you from things that you really want to go after. So let go of that perfectionist side. That's good advice. And what about you, Susan? Uh, mine actually came from my dad. So my dad was an educator, and then I went into the corporate world. And he said, you know, Susan, I'm, I'm not experienced in the corporate world, but my best piece of advice just in terms of working anywhere is just to make time for everyone in the organization. And this is advice I give my now young adult adult children. I have teenagers and, and kids just ending or just out of college. Develop a relationship with everyone in your organization, and and not for purposes of exploiting it later, but you can really learn a lot of wisdom from the person who cleans the office. Mm -hmm. You can learn a lot about the way things proceed in the organization by talking to the administrators there and just giving everyone um, your respect and, and your curiosity. What a nice value to raise your kids with. They do laugh. They yes, laugh they at me do. because like I'll be at their school and they're like, mom's like going out to lunch with the, with the head janitor. <laughs> Honestly, that yeah. relationship did more for my kid's high school than any other one. Because he was the guy that really knew where the bodies were buried and how to get make things work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Susan Ritano Davy and Kelly Biscupia, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Prepare to Launch You. Everybody, I'll leave links in the show notes so it'll make it easy to find them. But just remember, everything we've done has value if we just talk about it in the right way. Thank you, Nancy. Yeah. What a great interview. Yes, seriously. Yeah. Very good interview. It was fun. This is where I'm pivoting on the fact that I was such a blabbermouth kid that my nickname was Aunt Blabby as a child. And so look, now I'm a podcaster. It all works. Exactly. Perfect. All right. Happy New Year, you guys. Thank Thank you, Nancy. Nancy. I hope that interview was the kick in the pants you need for 2019 to reassess where you are in your career and job and make sure it's still the right place for you. And if it's not, remember, nobody else understands Slack either. Don't make that the reason you don't go back for a new job. Are any of you job hunting or thinking of making changes? I'd be curious to know what's up. You can email me at dj at midlifemixtape.com. 
and find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Midlife Mixtape. I'd also be curious to know if you have suggestions for guests whose midlife stories you'd like to hear. Some of my most interesting guests come in that way, like ballerina Aisha Ash, who was on episode 39, and chain stitch wrangler Kathy Sever, who was episode 24. Go back and check them out if you missed those. Next episode, we're going to swing the pendulum back a bit to the music side of things when I interview concert photographer Amy Giese. You can check out her work in advance over at griebelhaus.com. That's G-R-E-E-B-L-E-H-A-U-S.com. And she and I are going to settle once and for all why using a flash on your iPhone to take pictures at a concert is such a dumb idea. We're also going to talk about how she walked away from the award-winning corporate communications firm she co-founded to find a different kind of success, but not without some bumpy patches. We keep it real here on the Midlife Mixtape Podcast. You guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. I wanna be, I wanna be free by